0: From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats.
1: I often hear people say,
0: well, it's just food, it's not politics. And I don't approach food that way. On today's show, we head back to the farmer's market. Earlier this summer, we had a show about farmer's markets and whiteness, where we explored the culture of farmer's markets, who sells and shops there, and who doesn't, and what these spaces mean to different members of our community. We're following up and continuing that conversation this week, so stay tuned. Our local farmer's market here in Bloomington, Indiana, has been dealing with a controversy over the presence of vendors, Doug Mackey and Sarah Dye of Schooner Creek Farm, with ties to the American identity movement, previously known as Identity Europa. Identity Europa was involved in organizing the Unite the Right march in Charlottesville in 2017. One of the owners of the farm, Sarah Dye, has named herself an Identitarian. A group called No Space for Hate formed locally in response to these vendors and has maintained a constant presence at the market, handing out flyers and buttons, alerting customers, and raising awareness. Other groups have also shown up at the market, including three percenters and a black block formation. In June, a lone peaceful protester was arrested for holding a protest sign next to Schooner Creek Farm's stand outside the bounds of the designated demonstration area. All of this has changed the character and the feel of the farmers' market, which is a central event in Bloomington, featuring over a hundred vendors and attracting thousands of customers each week. After receiving threats from known violent white nationalists, the mayor suspended the market for two weeks. An alternative market sprang up at Blooming Foods, a cooperative grocery store on the east side of town. And local groups raised funds to purchase produce from market farmers and donate it to local charities. Still, many of the vendors took a financial hit. The market reopened August 17th with increased surveillance, police presence, and new market ambassadors to help keep the peace. Most vendors returned to the market, though a few set up an alternative market, again at the Eastside Blooming Foods. At the main market, activists continued to hand out flyers along with yellow balloons with slogans such as Love Everyone and Market Love. Before the market opened, vendor Monica Billman of Goldleaf Hydroponics invited the vendors to form a circle and to affirm a commitment to inclusivity. The Schooner Creek vendors were invited but declined to join. Since this is a food show, our interest is in the space of the farmer's market, a place where people celebrate local food, and a place where consumers have the chance to know their farmer. For this episode, I interviewed farmers, activists, prepared food vendors, and customers. The original version of this show included some inaccurate information about vendor policies at the farmer's market. In this revised version, I have removed that section and added a few new voices. You can find links to the correct policies on our website, eartheats.org. I started by asking my guests to talk about their relationship with the farmer's market and what it means to them. Here's Susan Wellsand, also known as the chili woman, a farmer who's been selling at the market for over 25 years. I've
1: been going to the market for so long that you form a lot of deep connections, a lot of deep friendships with other vendors. And my customers, my regular customers, um, I've come to know so well that uh, it's, it's kind of weird when the market shuts down in the winter, you don't see them every week, you know, and you you actually kind of miss each other. Yeah, I, sp- I spend most of my time out here,
0: so that's my big social outing. Abby Ang, lead organizer of No Space for Hate and PhD candidate at Indiana University.
2: I always felt a little bit disconnected from it, at least from the food side of things. I would try to get vegetables, but um, sometimes the food is a little bit pricey. And there, are, there, are a lot, there is a lot of really great produce, but I wouldn't buy as often because I just don't also, in the summers, I don't really get a paycheck. So it's a little bit hard to pay like that extra money.
0: Lauren McAllister is a market customer, an IU employee, and a beginning farmer.
3: When I moved to Bloomington, I was living alone. I was living in poverty. I didn't have access to a lot of fresh foods. Going to Kroger was still a struggle for me, and the farmer's market was convenient. I felt like people were interested in seeing me every week. That evolved when I had Jasper, my son, and I was on the WIC program and found out that My bucks were doubled there, and it gave me an access to something I was craving, not just literally the delicious food, (laughs) but also getting an identity in the way that I wanted to interact with my community. The farmer's market seemed to just bring all of those things together, the people I love, the food I love, and the access. Being able to double my bucks meant I was going every single Saturday for at least two years to get that reward. I was totally incentivized by that program to show up and to meet the vendors and get their seconds and talk about how
0: um,
3: I'm involved. I'm not invisible.
0: Lauren is referring to a program at the market where customers receiving SNAP benefits, also known as food stamps, can come to the farmer's market and double the value of those benefits to shop at the market, making the food more affordable while still paying the farmer's full price for what they've grown. And here's Eric Shedler of Muddy Fork Bakery.
4: It's always been a really special place. We raised our kids at the market. They spent time with us in our in the sling when they were babies. It's a family time for us, and it's a time for us to sell our products. Um, and it's a it's a social time. It's the most social part of the week for us. We get to meet and and talk with friends and customers, and just enjoy being out in town. And sharing the experience around good local food. Before we were vendors, we were customers, and we were totally dedicated to buying local foods and spent hours at the market as customers before we started selling our breads. And I've also participated as a musician busking at the market, so we've kind of seen all sides of it.
0: Michelle Moyd is a history professor and associate director of the Center for Research on Race and Ethnicity at Indiana University.
5: The market has been a place typically where my husband and I take my daughter to get her out of the house on Saturday morning, get a cup of coffee, and then we would often end up kind of on the uh, the beeline trail, kind of on the side because we would run into people from our daycare or whatever and we would spend some time socializing. It feels like we sort of stuck to the margins or you know the sort of edges of the market in a way that's how we participated for the most part.
0: Marsha Veldman is the coordinator for the Bloomington Community Farmers Market and I wanted to know what the market means to her. For
6: me what really makes me love working with the market and continue over you know now it's 23 years of managing it to feel inspired each day to try and uh, make it as good as it can be is the vendors. I just have so much appreciation and value so much the work that they do. I've. Been interested in food for a very long time and so I've done a lot of reading and studying on food systems and I, uh, I see that the industrial agricultural complex is really hard on the people who are raising the food which is often people of color and the environment and I think by shopping at a farmer's market, and particularly this farmer's market, because it is a grower-only market where you are meeting the person who has grown that food. You can really have a better understanding of how the food was grown, and um, how they cared for the earth, and, and develop a relationship. For me, when I sit down to eat, and I think about the different farmers and prepared food vendors who helped raise and prepare the food that I'm eating. It just
0: adds a level of depth and meaning to my meals. Jesus Barajas is a prepared food vendor with Cezanne Mexican Cuisine.
7: We're very happy and grateful for, uh, with the people. That's what we had in mind at the beginning. We didn't know we, we were gonna have the customer base product and when we have now we have a lot of returning customers and new and new customers every week we really like the farmers market like I said we didn't know what to expect and how people was going to react since the beginning but then we kind of like fall in love with the atmosphere and the community and the other vendors as well at the farmers market and that's why we, we like to keep that and continue as long as we we can do it
0: Jada B is on the board for democracy for Monroe County, and she's a core council member of Black Lives Matter Bloomington.
8: I'm from Bloomington. I have grown up here. Growing up, my family, my black family, uh, you know, biracial family, didn't go to the market, predominantly because we either grew our own vegetables or we bought them discount because we are lower income. So we weren't looking for those. Expensive heirloom tomatoes that are being sold at the farmers market. So it wasn't until I was in college and I started getting into um, Making my own food, but meeting other people who are interested in growing their own food I met some friends who who were really interested in in sustainability and Predominantly white friends um, who were interested in that and so they helped me think about those things i thought about those things in my own ways um and then i happened to live like a block away from it in college and so it was the thing for me to do to roll out of bed at like 9 a.m walk over to the market get my stuff that i needed for the week and i was kind of a vegetarian vegan at the sa- at that time it was I would say it was a part of my culture but it was really more I mean my culture as in my culture in Bloomington my culture as as a as a black person uh, because I was almost always the only black person in any of that circle you know any sustainability uh, circle I was always either the only person of color whatsoever or if there were other people of color they were few and far between.
0: In our episode about whiteness at the farmer's market, we were left with a number of lingering questions. One of those questions is, does the market generally feel like an inclusive space for people of color? Here's Abby.
2: There have been a lot of conversations about inclusion in public spaces. And so the farmer's market problem isn't just Creek Creek Farm problem, it's also led to a lot of conversations about who has access at the market and who doesn't, who has a space at the market, who doesn't, how many vendors of color are at the market, and do they feel supported.
3: I have been in private school my entire life, so I'm accustomed to being the only black person in a space, and especially in Indiana, and especially in farmer spaces. I didn't go in with the expectation of being welcomed, which is why I think I was so surprised to feel that way. But as a black person, a person of color, a woman of color, it's important that like we are sort of tolerating that fact. There's not a intentional effort to draw in people who are like me. Uh, I'm privilege in the sense of education. So I knew what I wanted. I came to the farmers market aware of it, but we don't see that sort of outreach and understanding and education for people in my community.
5: For me it feels like just a microcosm of Bloomington, which is that it's a it's a very white space, it's a space where I can pick out the number of people who are people of color visually. And count them on a couple of hands. <laughs> it's not uh, so. It's not. Uh, it's not a space that stands out necessarily from the rest of Bloomington, from my perspective. But there is a sort of there's a way in which the aura of the farmers market as this special place, right? And I don't know if you saw that piece that was circulating by somebody who um, is a farmers market attendee, and she describes it as almost a religious experience. And that part for me has always raised my antennae a little bit because I don't, I don't feel that at all. I feel like it's a, an interesting, nice space sometimes, but I don't feel compelled to be there. And I certainly, when I walk in there, I certainly don't feel like, oh my gosh, this is, this is uh, transformative. I don't, I don't experience it that way.
0: Jada wasn't convinced that the market reflected the same demographic makeup as the community at large. I looked up the latest census data which has the black population of Bloomington at just above
8: 4%. There's no way we're seeing that. There is absolutely no way that you are getting that. Purely black people coming through that coming through the farmers market. It's not happening. You know, if I'm coming to the farmers market and I don't see vendors like myself, I It makes me feel less comfortable to be there. And I I mean, the same can be said of anybody who's coming through. If you don't see a reflection of yourself, it sort of makes you feel like you're not wanted. Jada also shared a farmer's market experience that pushed
0: her to examine a bias of her own.
8: I remember being, when I first started going to the market, I remember being a little worried about the Amish sellers because I just didn't know much about them. I got to talk to them and got to know them, and it turns out that i was I had an irrational fear, and so that was that was actually very illuminating and I really enjoyed being able to break down that that um concept for myself.
0: The prepared food vendors we spoke with offered another perspective here's Eric
4: after the market was closed, the prepared food vendors got together um, to talk about this, and we realized that half of our sixteen prepared food vendors are either people of color and or religious minorities. We also employ a good number of people who fall into those categories as well. And we offer products that represent a lot of different cultures.
7: I like the diversity of the farmers market, though we as vendors, mostly I think on the prepared food vendors area, there's a lot of diversity. Like there's, We come from Mexico and there is Piccoli Dolce that comes from Italy. She has Italian products and then we have other pastries that comes from the Middle Eastern and we have a lot of different um, offerings and I think that's what I like that a lot of people they come and they share that and they are proud of having something like that here and then they can they, they can enjoy something that they are familiar with or maybe not but they can learn about other culture just by food and I think that that's great.
2: I love the prepared food vendors. I've noticed Sweet Claire's Bakery is one of my favorites. Um, they have a lot of really great like, Asian-style street food buns. They're my favorite. Primarily-inspired eats. There's a new bao place that comes every other week, and the chai place. So I guess you can see that some of my tastes are more into like the more ethnic types of cuisines that are sold at the market, and that is a real highlight for me because it's really hard to get that kind of stuff downtown or at any of the other restaurants.
0: So it sounds like there's increasing diversity in the prepared foods area, while some groups continue to feel underrepresented in the market as a whole. The response to activists in the market raising awareness about Schooner Creek Farm has been mixed.
2: I worry that our group is seen as a group that's just stirring up trouble or that we're kind of making something out of nothing or that this is just a situation that has to be dealt with rather than the ongoing really difficult anti-racist work that we're trying to do. Some appreciate
0: their work, some blame the activists, and some just want their market to go back to the way it was. After a short break, we'll hear from some of our guests about their concerns. Production support comes from Elizabeth Rue. Enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net. Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. And insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rash Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business, and home coverage in affiliation with Beacon Insurance. Beyond the Expected. More at 812-336-6838. Many of the activists leading the boycott against Schooner Creek and demonstrating against them at Market are people of color. Some are concerned that the response against the activism is racialized. Here's Michelle Moyd again.
5: They're being constructed as rabble rousers, which, you know, that's a code word. I'm a historian, so (laughs) these are words that have a a history in our country, uh, and typically they refer to people of color who are bringing to light the kinds of issues that we're dealing with right now. They are described in all sorts of derogatory ways. They're being blamed, essentially, for this this whole thing. And I, I really think that, you know, people need to take a step back and reframe what's going on here. The people who've been coming to the market, the market for years um, who want the market to be like it was, which is, you know, this, again, like this sort of uh, quasi-religious, uncomplicated experience where you go and you you see the beauty of the fresh produce and you enjoy this celebration of the basics of how we feed ourselves. And there's some music and there's some art and there's – and you see people you know. And all of that is great. I'm not knocking that at all. I don't belong to it necessarily, but I'm not knocking it. But I think that that people feeling so upset about losing that space or having that space disrupted in a particular way is, you know, it's troubling, but it's also not that different, again, from what you see in many other contexts uh, when you try to raise questions of equity and difference and representation and all of those things, people think, well, yeah, but, you know, we have this thing right now and this is the way it is. You're messing it up. You people are messing it up. <laughs> and and so I think there's a lot of that from what I've seen, uh, both in terms of talking to the activist community who have had the actual blowback from people in the space, like, you know, actual people coming up to them and saying, why are you doing this? You're promoting negativity. You know, you're hurting the market. You're hurting Bloomington, that kind of thing. Um, and then also kind of reading discussions on Facebook and, and distilling my sense of what's what's going on in this town, which is um, this is the way it often goes, that it's the people on the margins who see who see the fallacies most clearly because it affects them most directly. And so they call it out. And again, I'm a historian, so what's on my mind, and it just so happens that I study Germany in the 20th century, I cannot think of anything else in this moment except what happened in 1930s Germany, where these kinds of daily erosions, indignities, violence against Jews and other marginalized communities became became so sort of everyday and normal that it didn't, people weren't especially moved to intervene as things became more and more entrenched and more and more violent.
8: In Bloomington, we are such a small percentage of the population, we have found that it is better to do things amongst ourselves because when we start reaching out we get slapped down. And this protest is a pretty good example of that. It's led by an Asian woman who is who is reaching out and trying to talk about white supremacy in Bloomington, and she gets threatened every single day. She gets threatened online, she gets threatened in person, she has people stop her in the street and cuss her every which way from Sunday for attempting to quote unquote ruin the farmer's market. When all she is doing is, is bringing information to light and asking for change. And so, yeah, why, why would black folks want to put themselves in that position? We know what can happen when we put ourselves in those positions. And in particular, now that the city of Bloomington is talking about increasing police presence, that that's an even bigger deterrent for, for black folk to want to come around.
0: Michelle is also concerned about the increase in security. It's gonna be
5: more police, more surveillance, uh, more rules. And I don't really see that as increasing or laying out the welcome mat for people who already feel like they don't belong. That's just going to create more alienation. I don't read that as a safe situation, and I don't think most marginalized people do either. That, to me, is sort of one of the key things that I hope white folks here and elsewhere are thinking about all of the evidence is out there and i hope that people will avail themselves of it because it's not I'm, i don't want to be the one person up here spouting anecdotes there's plenty of research to show how people of color and marginalized communities experience the police versus how white folks living in middle class and above circumstances experience, experience the police
0: the insistence on rule following also came up in conversations
2: We've really tried to follow the rules of the market and it's been unclear at times what the rules of the market were because there was, wasn't exactly printed rules for patrons. There were printed rules for people like vendors or people in the info alley, but not specifically rules for people who are just patrons.
5: I'm troubled by the refusal of Bloomingtonians to see why the presence of that vendor would be threatening. And it's troubling to see the extent to which the city reinforces that perspective. And the city has accommodated the protesters, I think, in some ways. But there's also a way that the kind of insistence on the rules, the, you know, staying on the margins of the market. And the I hope that more people can see the kind of disproportionate emphasis on protecting a certain kind of free speech while disallowing a different kind of free speech. um, I hope that people can see the fallacy of that treatment. So, I mean, in short, I think this information about this vendor, which has been out there and there's, you know, there's been good research done by local activists to show who she is and what she stands for. These sort of inability of people to process what that might mean for marginalized folks. And I've been saying people of color because that's the identity that most directly affects me, but LGBTQI people, Muslims, Jews, anybody who could be perceived as being marginal to a dominant white Christian culture, that vendor is not here for us. And the city, as long as they allow the vendor to remain, is not here for us either.
0: And Lauren expressed her frustration about rules
3: do what you do to black people go in a room change the rules come back out and say it's always been that way do not diminish my perspective and pretend like the city the advisory board full of white people could have done a white people thing and gone in a room and said you know what turns out we thought about it and we changed all the rules this year and your application is under review for the next year
0: now. Lauren is using hyperbole here to make a point, that she feels frustrated by the insistence on rules in this instance, when historically white people have altered rules in order to discriminate against black people. As the coordinator for the farmer's market, Marcia has a different take on the importance of rules.
6: I am well aware that rules and laws have been used over the decades and hundreds of years to oppress and discriminate against people. However, I think that the rules that are surround the farmers market, that is certainly not the intent, nor do I believe it's the reality. They are designed to help the market fulfill its mission and to do it well. In a previous life I was a teacher and just found that in order to have you know a large group of people kind of work together there have to be some baseline rules and when you you know look at the farmers market we contract with uh, this year 121 farm vendors i believe it's 19 prepared food vendors maybe 80 groups on info alley and then thousands upon thousands of customers and performers and buskers And so over time, and as uh, opportunities and challenges have arisen, structure is added to the market to allow it to function smoothly and you know when it comes to enforcing the rules it's not my favorite thing to do by any means but i also believe it's one of the most necessary things to do and um, i know some of the farmers sometimes will be annoyed when i'm like okay you know there's lines where their spaces are and they need to be in the boundaries and while that might seem petty it's just like it's easier when there's a line that's the line and we don't have to like decide each week is like five inches over the line okay? Or is 10 inches okay? It's just like, it's just clear and we try to be really consistent and um, fair and, and at the same time willing to change. Every year we review the different rules associated with the market to um, change to changing circumstances and opportunities I absolutely know that we'll be taking a look at all of the rules of the market in light of um, the situation this year and trying to
0: figure out the best path forward for the future. The city officials have verbally come out strongly against white supremacy but have made it clear that they can't legally remove these vendors if they have not brought their private beliefs into the space of the market. This response feels puzzling to me. And after talking with Lauren, it finally became clear to me why.
3: To show up with Jasper and people are, you know, did Jasper try my tomato? I want him to try it. And did he eat this thing I gave you? Or did he like the maple syrup? Like that was huge for me. It is worth more money to have that kind of relationship, ultimately. And I think we try and downplay that there isn't an obligation to the community as a vendor. It's not just your relationship with the city. We are the ones buying into your farm. We're buying into supporting your family. We're buying into ways in which we can relate. And food is our literal foundation for that.
1: I often hear people say, well, it's just food. It's not politics. And I don't approach food that way. I vote with my wallet.
0: One of the biggest reasons that people shop at farmer's markets is to get to know their farmers. To ask that we ignore what a farmer believes. To suggest that the market is simply a space for purchasing produce goes against what the market claims to offer. A place where you can get to know your farmer. Farmer's markets are about knowing and being known. Yes, it's about the food, but it's also about the farmer. I think I'll be puzzling over this for quite some time. In the meantime, it might make sense to focus on the good that can come out of this summer's market controversy. I asked some of our guests what they could see. Here's Marsha. I do believe that we, as a community, and it's broad as far as I
6: can tell, are really grappling with some deep and difficult issues. And, you know, friends and neighbors who would never have conversations around freedom of speech and white supremacy and racism are having these conversations. And I think, I think that's really valuable. I think it's really hard and, you know, it's hard for me in the sense of like the levels of uncertainty, but also I I know that is important work that's being done.
8: And Jada B. Doing things that involve more diversity and inclusion means, first of all, putting people who know about diversity and inclusion in positions of power and decision-making uh, for that process, which means more Black people, more queer people, uh, more people who are differently abled, like putting them in, in those positions. It has to be like a, like, let's pull all of this back and look at how we're structured.
0: And here's Susan Wellsand, a.k.a. The Chili Woman.
8: I always
1: believe you can get a positive out of a negative. And I think this starts a lot of uncomfortable conversations that needed to be had openly. And hopefully we can work through some of that discomfort to make everyone
0: feel more comfortable at the market. I'm Kate Young, and that's our show. Thanks for listening. The music in this episode was composed and performed by Eric Shedler. He wrote this piece when he was thinking about everything that's been happening at the farmer's market.
5: The Earth Eats team includes Eoban Binder, Chad Bouchard, Alex Chambers, Mark Chilla, Taylor Killo, Josephine McRobbie, Daniel Orr, the IU Food Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Earth Eats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey.
0: Special thanks this week to Susan Welsend, Michelle Moyd, Abby Ang, Lauren McAllister, Eric Shedler, Jada B., Jesus Barajas, Marcia Veldman, and Monica Billman. Production support comes from insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business, and home coverage in affiliation with Beacon Insurance. Beyond the Expected, more at 812-336-6838. Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at personalfinancialservices.net. And Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at griffeycreek.studio.